Good morning. First Thessalonians 5, let's jump right in. First Thessalonians 5, as you turn to First Thessalonians 5, we've got an update from camp. Our students are hearing uh, daily from the president of the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. That's who's preaching for them this week. Uh, and they've been uh, being fed the word uh, and are eating the word and uh, have even had some decisions already. So be in prayer for our students and those who uh, proclaim the word of God to them as they're at camp. First Thessalonians 5, we are barreling down on the end of our journey through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We've been in here for quite some time in our series titled Stand Firm. And so we have next week as kind of that final uh, sermon and this one our penultimate. So if you have 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 open, uh, if you would stand with me so that we, as we read the word of God, if you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screens behind me. 1 Thessalonians 5 Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray for ourselves and over the word of God proclaimed. Father, as we come this morning, we would ask that you would take final instructions of Paul to the church in Thessalonica and that you would speak truth and reality over our lives so that we even more become Christ-like. That you would sanctify us, transform us so that we would endure. Father, help us to grasp what your Spirit is teaching us this morning. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So we've been journeying through, as I mentioned, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And the church at Thessalonica had a very interesting uh, start. And we're going to read much deeper into that uh, in the middle of the sermon. Uh, but right now, I want to remind you of their start, that they were a fairly new church plant who stood amidst a godless culture. As they strived to live for Christ, they struggled to do so because of the pressures that were coming from the outside to in. When I spoke with you last time from this book, I told you, do you not see yourself here, right? I hear ourselves here again. 
that we live amongst a godless culture and we have pressures from the outside in to continue to strive and live for Christ. According to chapter 3, Paul writes this letter so that he can, what he says is fill up what is lacking in the faith of the Thessalonians. And so as they stand firm in the midst of culture and in standing for Christ, that they would stand in faith, faith and stand firm. And Paul comes today to give final instructions. It's almost like a, a PS, PSS, you know. Uh, hey, here's a couple of last things before I go. And what he does is he gives us four focus points. Four things that he says, hey, Christian. As you stand firm, remember these things. Don't lose focus. Why? Why don't lose focus? Why focus on these things? I want to jump to the end so that you see why he's giving us these things so that we interpret that in, that it in this light. Look at verse 23. This is next week's sermon. If Darren asks, I didn't read this passage. <laughs> now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So that's a summation of this passage today, but it's ultimately a summation of the entire book. And so what we see is we see him giving us these four points of focus. These, these hey, remember these four things for the purpose of sanctification in our life, for, for the purpose of growth. For the purpose of transformation, but also for the purpose of endurance. Every single one of us brings something with us. Difficulty, suffering, trials, things that we're working through that we must stand firm in. And, in, and Christ is saying through Paul, endure through these four focus points. So without further ado, let's jump in. The first point of focus that he gives is with our relationship to spiritual authority. If we are to stand firm, if we are to endure and to be transformed, we are to focus on our relationship with spiritual authority. He says it in verse 12, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. He has in mind here uh, pastors and elders, but ultimately you can apply this to any spiritual leadership in your life, but specifically it's, it's pastors and elders, and his call is to respect those who labor over and work for you in the Lord. This word respect can probably be better understood as the word appreciate. So he's telling us Christians to give focus to and to grow in our appreciation of those who are spiritually over us. Those who spiritually labor on our behalf, who work on our behalf, we are to appreciate them, but we're also to esteem them highly, to think highly of them in love. This one's simple, right? Love those spiritual leaders who labor for you, who work on your behalf. Grow in your affection for them. This is countercultural. 
to grow in affection for people who want to push you, stretch you, lead you, correct you, guide you. It's countercultural. But Paul says if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to endure and stand firm, it's imperative that we grow in our affection and our love for our spiritual leadership. I think at this point, it's very important for, important for us to get kind of a foundation for what spiritual leadership is. If you would, turn with me to Ephesians 4. We're going to jump around a little bit today. This is one of the only ones that we're actually going to go to, but I want you to lay eyes on it because I think it's so critical. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11. And he gave, Ephesians 4 verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers, he's listing spiritual leadership here, to equip the saints, that's you Christian, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful Schemes. This is the passage in Scripture that explains the, the role of spiritual leadership in our lives. And they function, your pastors here at this church function, I function to facilitate ministry. You see that in the passage? Not to do ministry but to facilitate ministry by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And so what is ministry? He gives us the answer. For the building up of the body of Christ. We are focused on building up all of this. Churches, pastors, congregations we exist for the building up of each other the body of Christ into Christ likeness what does that mean that's a great question he continues until we all attain to maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does it mean to build up the body of Christ? What does it mean for you to be equipped to do ministry? It's to grow into maturity, into the measure, the statue of fullness of Christ. He continues, so that we may no longer be children. And hear the Thessalonian church here. Hear us here. Hear us living amongst our godless culture here so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried 
about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is the role of spiritual leadership in our lives. That they would facilitate ministry, structure ministry, execute ministry in such a way that the saints all encourage one another to the point of spiritual maturity so that we have the pressure of an imposing godless culture and we say, no, 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 that's not the ways of God. And we're no longer tossed to and fro. We're no longer taken by every wind of doctrine, every thought, everything that's said on the news, everything that's said by this expert or that expert or this book or that book. And so Paul says, grow in your appreciation for those who do that for you. Love them. Don't be indifferent. Care for them. Grow in your affection. Pursue them. Esteem them. So why is Paul concerned with this for the Thessalonians? He's saying that this this point of focus is for their spiritual growth, their transformation, but for them to endure. Why does it matter? That there's an appreciation and a love for spiritual authority when it comes to growth and endurance. Here's the thing, church. They exist for their good. They labor and work for their growth. And so Paul says, embrace them. You may not always understand right? I'm a pastor here who's had conversations with church members who didn't understand. That's okay. You may not always understand why they do what they do. You may not even understand what what they are doing. But Paul's call is unless they are clearly in sin, the call of every Christian is to respect them, to appreciate them, to esteem them, to grow in love and affection for them. And there's a danger in this, which is why Paul's bringing it up, is that within the Thessalonian church, there was obviously pastors, spiritual leadership, who were working for the growth and spiritual transformation of the people to the point where they had to admonish them. That's what he says in the text. Meaning that the pastors had to care for the people seeking their maturity to the point where they had to warn them of their lifestyle. They had to express disapproval of the things that were going on in their lives. In exposing weak areas in the people in the church of Thessalonica. You know one lesson I've learned in pastoral ministry? People don't like that. People don't like it when you say they're doing something wrong when you try to encourage them to a better way, when you try and ask them where they've been, where you ask them about their spiritual pursuit of Christ. And this, this is the threat for Christians. How do you respond when you're challenged? How do you respond? Do you 
remove yourself from the spaces where spiritual leadership pushes you towards Christ when it's uncomfortable? Do you tune them out when they begin to step on your toes? When you see them walking down the hallway, do you begin to walk the other direction because you don't want to be called out and therefore you break relationship? Paul says for spiritual growth, for spiritual endurance, appreciate, respect, esteem, grow in affection and love for your spiritual leadership. So that's the first one. That's the first call of focus is to uh, focus on your relationship with spiritual authority. The second one that he gives is to focus on relationship within your spiritual family. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 13. He says, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil, uh, anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul is calling the congregation here to a countercultural way of living amongst one another. It's a way focused on peace. This isn't this isn't rare. This isn't specific to the Thessalonian church. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Peace is to be a foundational aspect of the relationship of brothers and sisters within the church. So here he says, be at peace among yourselves. But look at what follows, because this is what makes it countercultural. Admonish the idol. So be at peace immediately says admonish. To admonish is to reprimand, to rebuke. In this case, the spiritual lazy, the people who have stopped pursuing Christ, the people who've, who have gone stagnant in their relationship with Christ, admonish the idol. So be at peace, but also rebuke and reprimand. How do we rectify these two things? How are we to understand this? The dictionary defines peace as freedom from disturbance. That's the type of definition that works in our workplaces. It is uh, uh, culturally appropriate in every which way that we go, but it is, if adopted by Christians, catastrophic. There is a peace in our lives, Christians, that is deeper than the absence of disturbance. This is the type of peace that Christians are called to. This is the type of peace Paul is calling the Thessalonian church to and us today. Listen to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Do you hear the word that Jesus uses? Blessed are the peacemakers. 
In recent years, we've had incredible work that has kind of helped us understand what this word peacemaker means. A book that I want to recommend to you is called Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And he categorizes peacemaking in three kind of different categories. He says you can be a peacemaker, you can be a peacekeeper, or you can be a peace breaker. So peacekeeping, it goes on that fight or flight model, right? And so peacekeeping are those people that uh, a moment of disturbance comes and uh, we can either uh, pursue peace or we can run and keep the peace. That's what peacekeeping is. Peacekeeping is, uh, you know, sweeping something under the rug. Peacekeeping is we're just going to act like it didn't happen. Peacekeeping is avoiding conflict at the cost of true peace. So in our fight or flight model, those who are flighters in here, that is you. We have a tendency to be peacekeepers. But on the other end of that, we have what he calls peace, peace breakers. And these are those who uh, do not run from conflict or disturbance, but they choose to fight. And that disturbance, they throw lighter fluid on. And so not only do they not make peace, they destroy peace. Jesus doesn't call us to either one of these responses. If you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I can think of that time my brother or my coworker or my aunt or that family member and I'm still to this day just acting like it never happened. But there's not true. We know there's not peace. If that's you or you're sitting here thinking of how you have this explosive capability when things come up and everywhere you go there is not peace. That's not what Christ calls us to. He calls us to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers Peacemakers are those who, they don't choose fight to attack or they don't choose flight to run. Peacemakers are focused on restoring relationship. Restoring relationship with God, restoring relationship with each other for the glory of God. And this may mean that they have to sit down and talk. They have to work things out. They have to bring somebody from the outside in to help. But whatever we have to do, we will be at true peace. Understanding this allows us to clearly see what Paul is commanding us today. He says, be at peace. Admonish, rebuke. Reprimand those who are idle. Why? Because we are to help them find true peace. If someone around us within our congregation has become spiritually lazy, spiritually stagnant, they are not at peace. And for us to live at peace with each other is for us to go to them and to care for them so much that we pursue them to bring them back into the life that they should be living. But not just admonish. Look at the rest of the command. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. You hear it, church? We're to build up 
those who need it, regardless if it is self-imposed. If they don't have peace because of something that they've done, a decision that they've made, or if it's imposed on them because of a circumstance of life. Those who are in a moment of weakness, those who are struggling, those who need help, we are to be critically focused on building them up. He continues, be patient. Do not repay evil with evil. In our quest for peace individually and corporate, congregationally, we are to be a patient people, patient with one another. When, we do, when someone does something that we don't agree with, when they struggle, when they fall, God forbid, when they sin, even when it affects us, Paul is calling us to be patient. We don't agree with someone. Be patient. They offend us. Be patient. For the purpose of peace, we as Christians are called to be long-suffering people for one another, not returning what we are given, not repaying action for action or word for word, but returning evil with good, which fosters true God-glorifying peace. So in this final call for transformation, for endurance, he he tells us to focus on our relationship with spiritual authority. He tells us to focus on our relationship with our spiritual family. The third thing that he tells us is to focus on the relationship that we have with our circumstances. The circumstances that are in our lives, often out of our control. Look at verse 16. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Okay, I want to share, I want to read something for you. And it it comes from Acts chapter 17. And it is the story, it's the first mention that we have of the church of Thessalonica. So listen to the first occurrence that we have of the church at Thessalonica. Now, when they had passed through, they came to Thessalonica where they where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in and was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he responded with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So he preaches the gospel to him in Thessalonica. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. This is the church that Paul is writing to, and he tells that church 
who's being kidnapped into homes, who's being forcibly taken from homes, who's being threatened if they even help Christians. And he looks at them and he says, rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. How could Paul say that to these people? 1 Thessalonians 3, just a couple chapters earlier, he says, I know you're under affliction. I know that you're suffering. But still, rejoice always. How could Paul say that? First, I want to help us clarify what this is not saying. This is not saying that we are to rejoice and give thanks for everything that happens in our life, including sin in its effects. Some of you are going through unthinkable things right now. And they are being brought on you outside of your control and people are acting unrighteously against you. Do not hear Paul tell us rejoice in the fact that they are acting unrighteously against you. Paul, we don't ever hear Paul say, Father, thank you that they backstabbed me. What an opportunity you've given me. It even sounds spiritual, but you never hear Paul say that. He never says, thank you that they are lying. Thank you that they are ferociously attacking me. Thank you that they seek my family and act against my family and unrighteousness. That's not what he's telling us to do. The call is to focus on joy, rejoice in any and every circumstance. In any and every circumstance, happiness can be taken away from us. Happiness can be robbed of us. But joy that doesn't always look like happiness, joy is independent of circumstances. Our rejoicing is independent of what's happening to us outside. Listen to what James says in James chapter 1. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. Because the testing of your faith produces something. Whatever you're going through, whatever area you're suffering in, whatever the Lord is walking with you through, count it all joy. Because it is going to produce in you. If you allow the Lord to work in your life, he is going to produce in you by it. Circumstances of testing, suffering, affliction, difficulty, whatever it may be, is a breeding ground for the work of the Spirit to produce in us what is not already there. And when we process and interpret and understand these circumstances as the place not where God is orchestrating evil or sin, 
but as the place that he uses to show us his love, his faithfulness, his care, and fill us with faith and believe there is a joy that can anchor that the world does not know. And I want to make it clear here, probably because this is my life right now, that rejoicing is an action, not a feeling. Sometimes we rejoice through tears. Sometimes we rejoice in pain. Sometimes we rejoice in the face of great concern. Our rejoicing, Christian, is fully dependent on the object of our faith, not on the difficulty of our circumstances. All throughout Scripture, we see believers live this out going through unimaginable trials and suffering, yet they rejoice. Whatever your situation is, financial, relational, whatever it may be, they rejoice. Yes, they recognize that God is in control. Yes, they recognize that God is going to produce something and work in their lives. But how do they continue to put one foot in front of the other and not lose faith? For you who have come here this morning and you are hurting, how do you leave here, walk back into the reality of your suffering and not lose faith? I think of David in Psalm 42. When David's enemies wanted to destroy him and he cries himself, he literally says that he cries himself to sleep at night. That he can barely remember the good things that God had done in the past. That he can barely think and remember and comprehend how God can be good, faithful, and just. It seems forever away. What did David do? He trusted what he knew, not what he felt. In faith, David didn't feel it, but he knew that God was good. He didn't feel it, but he knew that God was faithful. He didn't feel it, but he knew that God was fighting on his behalf. He knew that God was going to use it for a purpose and that he was in control from A to Z. He trusted what he knew, not what we felt. Christian, that is the word for us this morning. That in your difficulty, trust what you know, not what you feel. Paul is the ultimate example of this in Philippians 4 in that famous verse of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says that I have be, I've learned how to uh, be abound but also be with very little. How to have much and how to be starving. But that first word in verse 10, I rejoice. Why? Is I can do all things. I can live in all situations. I can go through all difficulty. I can, I can bring in all pressures and live right through it through Christ who strengthens me. How does he strengthen him? In faith. Because he knows who God is and does not trust what he feels. So, Paul has called us to focus on our relationships with our spiritual authority, our relationships with spiritual family, our relationships with 
our circumstances. And lastly, Paul calls to focus on our relationship with Christ, more specifically with his spirit. Look at verse 19. He says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul starts with a jarring command. Do not quench the spirit. Anyone, any Christian who knows what it means to quench something is terrified by this command. That we have the ability to quench the Holy Spirit's work in our life. A term quench it means to stifle something, to suppress something. And when I think about quenching the Holy Spirit, I think about building a fire. When I first learned, learned uh, how to build a fire, I had this tendency to go from zero to 100. If you know me, you're not shocked by that. Uh, and I would, I would start the fire and I'd get that spark and I'd see the smallest little flame. And what would I do? I'd throw all of the wood on that little flame. And you're laughing because you know what happens you suppress that flame. It needs the oxygen to breathe. I suffocated that flame out. Christian, there are things in our lives that suffocate out the work and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This could, all of these points, I'm dying a slow death because they could be hour-long sermons. And I wish we could sit here and talk about all of the things in our lives that quench the Holy Spirit's power in our life. We could talk about a multitude of sins, but Paul is not making a general statement about quenching the Holy Spirit here. He's actually making a very specific statement. He says, don't quench the Holy Spirit, and then he has in mind exactly how in this context that we could quench the Holy Spirit. He says, do not despise prophecies. Okay, what does that mean? First, let's, let's define prophecy, okay? Prophecy is the word of God delivered to the people of God, all right? Prophecy is the word of God delivered to the people of God, and that has uh, meant different thing and different dispensations throughout uh, history, but ultimately, for us, we understand that as what is happening right now. The word of God is be, being proclaimed to the people of God. And Paul is warning Christians in Thess Thessalonica, and he's warning us today to not hear the word preached and despise it. To not hear the word preached and to disapprove, content, turn a deaf ear, turn a blind eye, to act as if that is not for us. To ignore it, ultimately turn from it, not apply it because we didn't like what it said or I don't want it to interrupt my life. So if that's not our response to the proclamation of God's word, what is and he gives it to us. He says, test everything. Everything you hear, including the words that I have said today, test it. 
When the word is proclaimed to you, you are not, as Christians, you are a priesthood of believers. You are not to blindly accept the words coming out of my mouth. You are to put these words under the microscope of Scripture and test what I am saying. And ultimately, the critical question is, test according to what? Experience? That's a big one. People love to test according to experience. Popular literature or books. I read this recently. I heard this article. Expert opinion. This pastor out in California, this guy up in Iowa, this man out in Texas says this. Or maybe personal convictions. You like things this way and that way and this way and this way. And you think it should be done this way. And I think it should be done this way. And so we intake the preaching of the word through the filter of our personal convictions. And you already know, no, none of those. None of those. We hear the proclamation of the word of God as the people of God. We go back to the word of God and say, is this what the Lord is saying? And we consider if it is truly from God, regardless of a name that's bringing you the word, a status of a person who is bringing you the word, or the title of a person who is bringing you the word. And the result of that is when we hear the word of God proclaimed to us as the people of God and we test it, we hold on, he says, to what is good. We hold fast to what is good. When we hear the Word of God, and it is found to be truly the teachings of God, we apply it. We believe it. We trust it. And we abstain from every form of evil. To abstain here is the opposite of to hold fast, right? We hold fast to what is good. We bring it in close. We become people of good. We hear the Word proclaimed, and we become the Word proclaimed. And the opposite of that is that we abstain, we push away, we run from evil, we flee from evil. Remember the background of the Thessalonians in a culture that's bearing down on them, mocking them, belittling them, idolatry everywhere you look. And Paul's instruction to them is to not neglect the word of God proclaimed but to learn what is good. Christian, do you know that what is happening right now is something deeply, deeply spiritual? God revealed himself to you and he has given you spiritual leadership that he works through and speaks through to bring his teaching and words to you so that you would hold on to good. And I'm as guilty as anyone. How often do we walk into these pews and we sit here and we have a nice encouraging service and we leave and go on about our lives and it doesn't have the power that it should. We hold 
fast to the good proclaimed to us from the word of God. And we run from evil that we are called to abstain from in the word of God. I find this to be exactly what James 1, 22 through 24 talks about. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Let me ask you something. You ever looked in a mirror and convinced yourself of something that wasn't true? Yeah, be honest. Right? You look up there and you see the receding hairline and you fluff the hair and then you do the side part and no, I'm not balding. When in reality, you know you're balding. There's a million times we look in mirrors and we convince ourselves I'm not going to go into details, don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, you have to tell the truth. But we, it's commonplace for us to look in mirrors and convince ourselves of something that is not reality. How many times do we see something in the mirror and say, mm, that's not me. I'm just having a bad day. How many times do we sit under the proclamation of the word and we intake it, but it's, that's proclamation for someone else. I'm really glad this word is being preached. And we're thinking about unbelievers in the room. We're thinking about the richness of what the gospel can do. But we're not looking intently at ourselves. Focusing on how we struggle with spiritual leadership. How we're not growing in affection for them. How we've, we've grown a spirit of questioning them. And we're not listening to the proclamation of the word and hearing our spiritual family and how we're not living at peace with all people. And we're okay. We've grown to be okay with having issues with people. And we're not living at peace. And we hear the proclamation of the word and we think, no, I'm not going to rejoice in this. I'm going to complain. I'm going to get bitter. I'm going to stop coming to church. I'm going to stop living in community. All these things that we could hear and the Spirit could work in us for spiritual transformation and spiritual growth to help us endure in difficulty, but we don't hear the proclamation of the Word. And Paul is telling you, Christian, watch your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Do not despise the Word of God proclaimed for the people of God because that is where you find out what is good and you find out what is evil and you can endure. That's what sermons are. I love this illustration of preaching. Right? You don't remember what was preached on this sermon last year on this date. This same way you don't remember what you had for lunch on this day last year. It wasn't meant to be a red marker day in your life the same way this sermon is. This sermon is meant to nourish you just the way your food is. 
and you eat continual meals and you, and you hear, oh, this is good, this is good, this is evil, this is evil. And the Spirit builds you and transforms you so that you endure and grow closer to Christ. So Christian, just as the Thessalonian church was walking the same journey we're walking, with a God living amongst a godless culture that is bringing pressure inside, mocking, belittling, idolatry everywhere we see. Focus on your relationship with spiritual authority. Focus on your relationship with your spiritual family. Focus on your relationship with your circumstances. And focus on your relationship with Christ and his spirit. And you, you may be here and you may be that person who looks in the mirror and you have no way to understand. Because you're hearing about these words to a Christian. And you know that you're not one. You may be hearing me talk about hearing the word of God. And holding fast to what is good. And running from evil. And you say, I've never held fast to what is good. I've never run from evil. Well, this is the good news for you is that when that evil that you didn't run from, Christ always ran from. And because he always ran from it, he was able to die for the evil that you hold so tightly to. And he makes it available, his life for yours. All you have to do is run from evil. Repent of your sins. And if you do that, then he will begin to work in your life. And the spirit that we talk about right here will begin to work in power in your life so that you look in the mirror and you see for the first time who you truly are. After the service, we're going to have a pastor at the cross. We'd love to talk to you about that. Christian, maybe you're here and you're struggling to rejoice always. Maybe you are not at peace with someone in your life. Maybe you are struggling in some area that we talked about today in your spiritual journey. There's going to be a pastor over here. We would love to talk with you, pray with you, journey with you. That is our job is to make sure we have been brought into your life to make sure that you are being built up into maturity. So hear the words of Paul. Focus on these things for your spiritual growth and for your endurance. Let's pray. Father, this journey that we've taken with the Thessalonian church is such an encouragement to hear that for thousands of years, believers, what we're going through right now is not different. It's not new. It's just wrapped differently. In the same way that you spoke your word to build them up then, I trust and we believe that you are speaking your word to build us up now. And Father, that I pray that if that means that there is someone in here who for the very first time must repent of their sins, turn and give their life to Christ, that they would do so. But God, if that means that Christians hear the word, your word proclaimed, and then they find it to be true, and then they hold fast to the good, 
and that they run from evil. God, work that in our lives. Help us to see these areas in our lives where we're not truly submitting to the lordship of Jesus. And help us to focus in these areas. Oh God, when we are faithless, we praise you that you remain faithful. So we give thanks to you, our God. In Jesus' name, amen.